Hey there, I'm Steve Harrison. The politics of race, guns, and North Carolina's U.S. Senate race is the focus of this week's episode of Inside Politics, Election 2022. Another mass shooting, this time at a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma, prompted President Biden to deliver an address to the nation on gun control. After Columbine, after Sandy Hook, after Charleston, after Orlando, after Las Vegas, after Parkland, nothing has been done. This time, that can't be true. But we haven't heard much from Democrat Sherry Beasley or Republican Ted Budd on the matter. We'll talk to Duke political science professor Kerry Haney about their race. He's the author of the book, Race, Gender, and Political Representation. This is an issue where women, particularly black women, have been active on these issues because black communities tend to suffer more uh, from these types of mass shootings. Joining me as always are Jim Morrill, former politics reporter from the Charlotte Observer, Hey, Jim. Hey, Steve. And Tim Funk, who reported on politics and religion at The Observer. Hey, Tim. Tim, you brought in Carrie Haney, a political science professor at Duke University. Tell us about Professor Haney and what you're going to talk about. Well, he actually was born up the road in Kannapolis. And even though he teaches at Duke, he went to undergrad at UNC Chapel Hill, which is interesting. He is not only the chairman of the political science department, but he teaches political science. He knows North Carolina politics, and he has a specialty in African-American studies and African studies. So this being a U.S. Senate race where we have a African-American candidate who would become the first black senator to represent North Carolina ever, and if elected, she'd be one of only three black women who've ever served in the U.S. Senate. So it seemed like a good time to bring him in there. We've talked to him over the years, and he's a pretty straight shooter and knows a lot about a lot of political uh, things in the state. All right, so let's get to it. (music) Professor Kerry Haney chairs the political science department at Duke University. He teaches political science as well as African-American and African studies, and he's the co-author of the book Race, Gender, and Political Representation. Also, he was born just up the road in Kannapolis. Thanks for joining us, Professor. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Let me start by asking something basic. Uh, When you look at the political landscape for 2022, what comes to mind, especially in North Carolina? You're a close observer of your home state politics. You know, the thing that comes to mind first and foremost is that the state is changing. It's rapidly changing. Uh, If you've noticed in the last several presidential election cycles, uh, Obama won the state in 2008. And he was the first Democrat since Jimmy Carter in 1976 to win the state. And since then, the state has been purplish, right? It's been uh, a red state looking to be trending towards blue in many respects. The subsequent presidential elections since 2008 have been competitive elections. So I think if you look at the landscape moving forward now to this fall, uh, it's going to be a competitive race in North Carolina, and that's been more of the same with the last several uh, election cycles where North Carolina's a toss-up, and it's hard to predict right now uh, the outcomes. Let me ask you about your book, Race, Gender, and Political Representation. You write how lawmakers who are women of color, and Cherry Beasley fits there, at least in state legislatures, are more likely uh, to address issues related to helping marginalized communities. How important are those issues in a statewide race such as this U.S. Senate race here uh, between Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd? I think extremely significant. Uh, there are a number of issues. One, uh, in the national news, uh, that will, I think, uh, play 
in North Carolina paused in November with the number of mass shootings we've had in recent weeks. Uh, this is an issue where women, and particularly Black women, have been active on these issues because Black communities tend to suffer more uh, from these types of, of mass shootings. And so if you look in state legislatures around the country, uh, Black women have been very active on these types of issues, gun safety issues. So I think that will play uh, in North Carolina politics. It's an issue uh, that Justice Beasley uh, will feel comfortable and natural articulating. Uh, a number of other issues, talking about marginalized groups, uh, LGBTQ issues are likely to be a factor in North Carolina politics come November uh, as the more social cultural issues come to the fore. Uh, and this is an issue where women of color, as you say, we found when I researched in our book, have been advocates for these groups who have been marginalized in any number of ways. You mentioned gun rights issues, which is in the news right now, and also abortion rights have also been talked about a lot lately. We haven't really been hearing much about those issues in the Senate race so far, but you think those will come to the fore? I mean, one of the candidates, Ted Budd, is a strong support of the Second Amendment, owns a gun shop. Do you think these things will come to the fore before long? Absolutely. I, I think the, the gun issue would definitely be an issue and become an issue whether we're going to have safe uh, gun safety uh, regulations uh, at the national and perhaps even the state level, uh, some legislation in, in that regard. So I expect that to be an issue for sure. Uh, you know, we're still anticipating uh, that the Supreme Court will issue a ruling uh, that will have some bearing on, on role basis, the role wave uh, precedent. And if, as the leaked uh, opinion, if, if that holds, I suspect that will be a major issue uh, in, in November. Why do you think it's not come up yet? Yeah, you know, I, I think folks are, are waiting to see uh, because it's not clear. I mean, so it's a leaked opinion. We're not sure that what we saw in that leaked opinion will turn out to be the issue. Uh, I suspect it will be. I think they're holding their powder. Uh, until an opportune time where folks start paying. You know, we're moving into the summer season as well. Uh, and folks will stop paying that much attention to politics. Uh, and the campaign will pick up again uh, as we move into, into the fall. Uh, but I suspect that will be a, a, a hot uh, issue that will be at the forefront of many voters' minds. Do you think the Buffalo shootings of African-Americans by this white supremacist will make that a big issue with black voters, like a you know, a recent Washington Post poll found that 75 percent of black Americans said they worried that they or someone they loved will be attacked because of their race. And perhaps to defend themselves, uh, NPR reported that gun buying among African-Americans has soared in recent years. Gun ownership among African-Americans is up. Yeah, so I think it's, it's Buffalo, but it's more than Buffalo. Uh, if, if you look at what happened in, in Texas, uh, and this is not so disconnected from things like the George Floyd uh, killing, uh, that this sort of violence and, and the threat of violence directed at Black people, not only Black people, uh, Asian Americans have been under attack, uh, it, it appears, uh, under, under, because of their race and ethnicity, uh, Latino Americans. Uh, so I think the combination of the mass shootings and, and other incidents of uh, violence directed at folks because of their race will make guns an issue uh, in ways that it might not otherwise be come November. If Sherry Beasley is elected to the U.S. Senate this year, she'll make history as the first African-American to represent North Carolina in the Senate. Is that history likely to inspire African-American voters in North Carolina to turn out in robust numbers? History worked for Barack Obama, uh, but are you hearing any 
excitement for her out and about? You know, at this stage, it's less excitement for her than excitement for changing the landscape ideologically and 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 uh, in a partisan way. Uh, and I think she will benefit from that. Uh, I think what I'm hearing most is concerned about issues like abortion rights, uh, the gun control issue, the LGBTQ issue, jobs and safety net issues. And I think those issues will play well for a Democrat like Beasley. We're hearing some disgruntled Democrats who say she's not enough of a fighter so far. Are you hearing anything like that? You know, that's out there. But, you know, this is uh, North Carolina. Uh, And I think the campaign she's running is fashioned for a state like North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's happened in this state uh, since the last 10 years or so has been that unaffiliated voters outnumber both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, and that says something about where the state is politically and ideologically. It's a center state. Uh, and for a Democrat to win, you can't be too far to the left. If for a Republican to win, you get, can't be too far to the right. Uh, so both Beasley and Bud would have to move towards the center uh, if they're to be successful in, in their campaign. So Beasley isn't the first African-American in North Carolina to run for the U.S. Senate. Former Charlotte uh, Mayor Harvey Gantt tried twice to unseat then-conservative Senator Jesse Helms in the 1990s. You mentioned earlier that the state has changed a lot. Uh, how has it changed or not changed since then in terms of politics and, and, and black candidates? Yeah, in, in a number of ways. In one I just mentioned, so the registration, voter registration, uh, where unaffiliated voters tend to or outnumber both Democrats and, and Republicans. Uh, and I think that's significant. And the, the evidence is that these unaffiliated voters are not as ideological as Republican voters uh, in the state. Uh, and that may favor a, a Democratic candidate like Beasley. Uh, another big change has been the growth of the suburbs in the Charlotte suburbs, the suburbs in the triad region of the state, uh, and here in the triangle where I am, uh, the Wake County, the Raleigh-Durham uh, suburbs have grown tremendously. Uh, and those voters on these cultural issues that we mentioned earlier tend to be uh, more progressive, more left-leaning than, than Republicans have been. And that might favor Beasley in, in, in a race in November. On guns and abortion, you're talking On about. guns and abortion. Mm-hmm. Hey, Professor, this is Jim Morrill. I want to ask you about the Republican candidate for a second. You called North Carolina a center state. Uh, and yet Ted Budd ran with the strong support of former President Trump, and uh, it was a pretty divisive Republican primary. How hard do you think it would be for will be for him to expand his base beyond the hardcore Republicans? You know, given these demographic factors I just mentioned, I think it's going to be difficult for, for Budd to do so. He's going to have to move to the Senate uh, to capture some independent voters and moderate Republicans. He have to hold those voters, and he can't, I don't think, stay out to the far right as he ran in the uh, primary. And that's what we see in, in, in primary elections. Extreme candidates tend to, to win in both parties, those to the left for the Democrats, those to the right for Republicans. But when it comes to the general election, the tendency you have to be able to move to the center in order to capture enough votes uh, to win an outright uh, general election. Donald Trump did better among black men voters and many Republicans uh, ex- uh, have in the past, and as as many in the party, ex- more than the party expected. Does that kind of uh, loyalty transfer to a Trump endorsed candidate like Ted Budd? Do you think that Budd will be trying to uh, get support from uh, black voters? I mean, he's got the support of Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who is African-American. 
How do you think he'll do there? Uh, I don't think so. And I, and I think uh, with former President Trump not on the ballot, it remains to be seen how an endorsement will play where the voters who might vote turn out for him, uh, will they continue uh, to turn out for folks he endorsed? Uh, that remains to be seen. I suspect they, some might. I suspect there'll be less of those turning out for a Trump-endorsed candidate than a Trump candidacy itself. I think it's a net a wash for Bud to have uh, Trump in this corner. And in fact, it may be a motivating factor for the other side uh, this election cycle. Another issue that you know we should put on the table here is the January 6th committee. We don't yet know uh, what revelations may come from that. Trump may become persona non grata even in Republican circles if there are some damaging uh, information coming uh, from those hearings, information that we yet not know. But there seems to be something about Trump that some black men uh, who vote are, are attracted to. What do you think that is? At least in the last uh, election cycle, that was the case. Uh, and, and, and in my sense, you know, even from, from the book research we've done, I think there is a tendency among uh, male voters, uh, and that includes black voters, this bravado, machismo uh, of Donald Trump. Uh, some might call it sexism, right, uh, of Donald Trump, uh, misogyny. Uh, and that plays well with a segment of the electorate, a male segment, including black men. Ted Budd, during the Republican primary, refused to debate Pat McCrory and the others. And my guess is he won't debate uh, Sherry Beasley either. He won't even he won't talk to a lot of the media either. I noticed that uh, Jesse Helms also refused to debate Harvey Gantt back then. Does that matter to voters today or do you think he'll pay a price for that or or not? Uh, I think he'll pay a price if he doesn't uh, debate, especially given the issues at hand, uh, that he will need to stake out a claim and and, and address uh, his opponent's position and engage uh, his opponent. Uh, He's no Jesse Helms. Uh, Let me just state that. Uh, If that's what he's going to position himself as, that won't play. It was only one Jesse Helms who could get away with that. I don't, I think it would hurt him not to come forward and uh, articulate his views and engage his, his opponent. He staked out some pretty conservative positions during the primary, but I thought he did something smart on uh, victory night. He talked about inflation. He talked about the issue that's, that the Republicans are trying to use to win nationally. He's trying to nationalize this race. High gas and grocery prices affect everybody, black and white, Democrat, Republican. Are those kitchen table concerns likely to help him and also dampen enthusiasm for Democrats among black voters, even for a historical candidate like Sherry Beasley? Do you think a lot of black voters will say, well, you know, that's more important to me than history? I think those kitchen table issues will be a big factor in, in, in the race. And as things stand now, I think they do favor, but uh, in, in the race. Uh, but again, these other cultural factors will loom in large uh, and can offset some of that advantage he may have talking about kitchen table issues. And that moving to the kitchen table issues is, is an attempt to, to moderate or appear to moderate his positions, or at least who he is as a candidate away from those extreme right-wing positions on the more cultural kinds of concerns that he needs to be able to capture some independent voters, some moderate Republicans, and to focus on those bread and butter economic issues will help him do that if he can contrast himself with what's going on in the Democratic side and hold the Democratic 
party, uh, you know, uh, to account for those, the high inflation, uh, the supply chain issues that we're having, things with baby formula and the like, uh, it certainly plays to its advantage to be able to focus on those issues and keep the race focused on those issues. Play political consultant for a minute. If Bud came to you and said, should I invite uh, Donald Trump in to do a big rally for me? And then if Beasley came to you and say, should I uh, keep uh, Joe Biden at arm's length or bring him in, bring in Barack Obama? What what kind of things would you tell him? You know, I, I would say to Bud that I would bring Trump in for limited purposes, and that is to get his voters out to vote for me. Uh, so it would be for turnout purposes as opposed to to give a rally where he gets the platform and the bully pulpit to talk about Donald Trump. Uh, I would like to have him come in and, and rally my supporters to uh, the polls. And the same way for Beasley, right? That uh, if, if, if she thinks that President Biden, Kamala Harris, or Barack Obama can help her turn out her voters, uh, my advice would be yes to bring those folks in. It's going to be a turnout game. Uh, and, and I think if there's high turnout, Beasley has a chance of winning. She has to have high turnout and she has to turn out, you know, black voters in, in near record numbers. Another factor in North Carolina politics, too, that favors Beasley and the Democrats in general, you know, we're a younger state than we have been in the past. Uh, we have a number of colleges and universities, right? And those have grown in population. So we have students coming in who are registered here to vote. Uh, the population in general is becoming younger uh, and younger voters, particularly on these cultural issues. Uh, they're not anti-gay and lesbian and transgender. Uh, they su- support uh, a woman's right to choose, and they are in favor of reasonable safety measures and gun control. Uh, so those issues and that demographic favor easily in this race. And if they can turn out those voters come November, uh, she has a decent chance uh, of winning the race. Well, that's the key. You're at Duke University. Do these young people turn out this in this midterm? They don't usually do that with these cultural issues, maybe. The culture issues may spur them on. And, you know, Barack Obama uh, and that race, we saw uh, uh, activity on college campuses like never before. And so he was able to mobilize those voters. And there was a little drop off after Obama left the scene. But he was able to have record turnout among young voters in this state and around the country. Uh, and Beasley would have to pull that off. Now, the Georgia race and, and uh, Stacey Abrams. She was able to mobilize voters in Georgia and, and, and increase the turnout among African-American voters. She's in this race, and there may be some national effect to her presence in the race, uh, and particularly among African-American women voters. Uh, they can mobilize that, and that's the base of the Democratic Party strength these days, is Black women. Uh, so if they can mobilize and turn out Black women in record numbers, uh, it'll be an interesting race in November. Professor, you mentioned Stacey Abrams in Georgia, and she's credited with mobilizing a large turnout, especially of African-Americans. And we had a woman from North Carolina on the show a few weeks ago who's doing the same in North Carolina or trying to do the same. Have you seen evidence of any success on her part? Not yet. Not yet. And that remains to be seen. That's been one of the uh, most interesting things uh, for me as a political observer. Uh, that used to be the Democrats' bread and butter uh, was to turn out their voters on election day. Uh, and, and they've gotten away from having a ground game, a good ground game, uh, come November. Uh, and that's going to be key. Uh, and it's not rocket science. I mean, I, I sit and watch these things and they have these computer databases and they, you know, factor in this and that. And, and it's not 
that difficult to do. Uh, there are people who are on the ground every day, day in and day out, who know where the voters are and know who these voters are and know how to get them out. And it, it seems to me if you enlist folks who live in the communities uh, to help turn out your supporters, uh, you stand a better chance of getting them out than getting someone from the outside to come in and knock on doors uh, that folks may or may not know or recognize. They respond to people who they know. Professor, let me wrap up with one last question. You were so good at being a political consultant before. Let me ask you again. So give me, uh, if Bud comes to you and said, uh, Professor, I need some advice. How am I going to win this race? And then same for Sherry Beasley. What two or three kernels would you tell him? Yeah, for Bud, he has to move away from the cultural issues and focus on the economy, inflation, uh, supply chain issues, the things that uh, tend to concern voters when it comes to election time and sort of try to stay away from uh, those hot button cultural issues where I think he would be on the losing end in a state like North Carolina, given the demographics. For Beasley, she has to figure out how to turn out her voters on election day. Uh, again, I think the demographics favor a Democratic candidate like her, but it comes down, are you able to get those folks out uh, when it counts and that's when it's time to cast the ballot? Uh, so to figure out how to get a ground operation uh, in every corner of the state uh, and, and get those folks to to the poll. Thank you, Professor. Really appreciate it. Take Thanks care. Thanks for having me. Thank Thanks you, for Professor. having me. Appreciate it. So that was Carrie Haney, a political science professor at Duke University, whose specialty is African-American studies. He talked about the upcoming election, specifically the U.S. Senate race between Republican Ted Budd and Democrat Sherry Beasley. Tim, Jim, what did you guys think? I thought he was uh, a little optimistic about Sherry Beasley. I don't see the kind of excitement for her that he thinks might happen. I'm not sure the turnout uh, among young people and African-Americans is going to be at the levels that she needs to win. So I I thought he was a little uh, pie in the sky on that one. Well, I thought that uh, he made some good points, you know, about North Carolina being a changing state. There are a lot of issues that could still come into play. You know, the whole guns and the Roe v. Wade thing, if that gets uh, repealed and LGBTQ issues, and, you know, that'll all be on the top burner. And if there are any revelations, any any real smoking guns coming out of the January 6th committee hearings, which begin soon in Washington, you know, that could make a difference too. Tim, I, I remember you asked him about, uh, you know, having surrogates come in, uh, former President Trump, President Biden. I think it's interesting that, you know, Joe Biden has been in North Carolina uh, this year. Sherry Beasley has not been there. Mm-hmm. You know, she's decided not to attend over in Georgia. Stacey Abrams has skipped Biden events. So I think unless Biden's approval ratings turn around, I think we'll probably be seeing more of that where candidates are not going to want to be with him. Um, I, I think that of those three issues you talked about, Jim, abortion, guns and LGBT issues, I think abortion is probably the only one that can really push this race in a different direction or tip it in Sherry Beasley's favor. I think it's interesting, you know, Ted Budd is a gun store owner. He owns a, a gun range. And in the aftermath of Buffalo and Uvalde, the Beasley campaign didn't really talk about that. They didn't point that out. And, you know, whereas I did a story on the 14th district race, that's the congressional race between Jeff Jackson and Pat Harrigan. Pat Harrigan is a gun manufacturer. Jeff Jackson's campaign was quick to point out that he manufactures assault weapons. 
you know, they're in a very democratic district. So it's, it's kind of safe for them to talk about guns and being against guns. But in this statewide campaign in North Carolina, it's not something that Beasley, they've decided to, to go there. I agree. I, I think, again, he was smart. He shifted to inflation, Ted Budd did, the very night that he won. But I didn't, I didn't see her coming out to talk about his gun shop or uh, about abortion. I mean, she's mostly been defending herself against these Republican ads. Jim, you wrote a long piece uh, for the assembly about Sherry Beasley's record. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit in terms of, I mean, we're already seeing it become kind of the first major issue of the campaign. And it seems to me one of the challenges for her is going to be, you know, as a judge, you have so many rulings that you can simplify them and make them appear one way when the issue is more complicated. But in politics, once you start to have to explain yourself and say, yes, but, you're really on your heels. That's a great point, Steve. You know, a lot of these cases that she dealt with have a lot of nuance in them. As, as somebody told me, nuance just doesn't play in in political campaigns, so certainly not in a 30-second ad. The bottom line, I think, from my reporting on this for the Assembly was that people who have worked with her and, and who have served with her on the bench from both parties say that she's not an activist. Uh, she's really hard to label. Um, you know, she's independent and and open-minded on almost everything. You know, after the George Floyd killing in 2020, she held a press conference in Raleigh and made a point of saying that the justice system in North Carolina and all over had equity issues and the black defendants were often treated differently. There were a couple decisions that she was part of that involved the Racial Justice Act, which was passed by Democrats in 2009 in North Carolina and repealed by Republicans in 2013 that could be fodder for Republican ads. Uh, So I think she's got to come up with an answer for stuff like that. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside Politics. For Jim Morrill and Tim Funk, I'm Steve Harrison. Inside Politics, Election 2022 is a production of WFAE. (laughs) 